We are going to today going to carry on with our current series looking at men and women in the Bible. And today we're looking at a couple of people who are very rarely preached about, well, at least together. Now, Josiah is somebody that does get some attention, but Huldah is somebody most people, even people who've been around in the Christian faith for quite some time, have never heard of. So I'm hoping we're going to get a bit of education today and hopefully some inspiration. The first one. When the king heard the words of the book of law, he, of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hokia the priest, Ahikam son of Saphan, Akbo son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us, because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to speak to the prophet Hoda, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, son of Harhas, people of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken, against his place and his people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you'll be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I'm going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. Fantastic reading. Thank you. Wasn't that really good reading? With all those strange names uh, of different people. So... Some context as to what's going on here, because some of this might seem a little bit obscure and a little bit hard to uh, grasp exactly what is going on. So in this week's edition of the Watford Word and last week's, I put some background and some thoughts so you can have a look at that. But what we will do at this point today is just a little bit of context before I'm going to ask us to have some discussion together in a moment, which I'll explain. So the temple is Solomon's temple. Now, when we think of the temple, we tend to think of Herod's temple. The, the temple that was around at the time of Jesus. But that was a very different looking temple. This is Solomon's, if you like, original temple, which would have looked something like the picture on the screen there. That temple has been neglected. It has been left to decay. And Josiah wants to do something about it. He's the new king. He becomes king when he is, anybody know how old he was when he became king? Eight years old. That's quite something. I don't know how you'd handle that responsibility. I think I'd struggle if I was 38, let alone eight. But he becomes king at eight, and somewhere along the line, when he's in his 20s at least, he gets, he gets a sense that all is not right. We need to do something for God. And he gets money collected from the people that go into the temple, and that money is given to the people that need to repair it, and they start repairing the, the temple of the Lord. And there's a really good culture that Josiah has instilled in the temple there because, at least partially, because he doesn't even keep account of the money. He says, give the money to whoever needs it, all the workmen, I trust them. 
So he's someone who has himself high integrity and, and believes that others have high integrity, at least in some areas. And so that's what he's doing. And at the same time, we should say that Israel is now two kingdoms, right? Originally, it was one kingdom. Solomon was the last king under which it was a united one kingdom. His son, Rehoboam, um, didn't, um, didn't act wisely when he took over from his father. And the kingdom split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Sometimes in the Bible, you get confused because when it says Judah, it means the whole thing. Sometimes when it says Israel, it means the whole thing. And sometimes when it says Israel, it means the northern kingdom and Judah, the southern kingdom. So you have to look at the context. But anyway, we have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, uh, this all happened about uh, 200, 300 years ago, um, split. And then the northern kingdom has been so wicked that it has already been taken into exile before the time that we're talking about here with King Josiah. So the northern kingdom, in many ways, doesn't exist anymore. All that's left is Judah in the south. That's the blue bit on the picture uh, on the screen there. So that is what's left. And Josiah is king of that bit that's left. And uh, he, his, the history of Israel was basically all bad kings. I think maybe there was one decent king in several hundred years, but they were all bad kings. They were all rubbish at being a, a godly king. And in the Judah was a bit better, but only better in as much as there were about 12 kings during this period, and eight of them were evil, four of them were good. So it's still not a good proportion, but at least it's better than the north, though that's small comfort. Josiah is the probably the best of all the kings of Judah and of Israel after, Rehob, after, after Solomon. He's like the one that stands out the most, and we're going to learn a lot from him, but also from Huldah and their connection, and why the connection was so important, and we need to be thinking about what that might mean for us today. Twelve kings, eight of them, of them were evil, four of them were good. None of them were perfect, of course, even the good ones, but uh, probably not uh, evil, I would say. So that's a bit of context as to what's going on here. Now, we had an excellent reading of the passage that is in verse 14, and follow, uh, well, verse 11 and following, and so but let's have a look at verse 14 for a moment, and let's think about Huldah, I'd like to offer a few thoughts about Huldah, then a few thoughts about Josiah, and then we'll have some discussion together. So Huldah, who was this woman? In verse 14, Hilkiah and Ahikam and all the other guys, they go to the prophet Huldah. She's a prophet. How do you think of Old Testament prophets? Like when, when you think about an Old Testament prophet, what comes to mind? How would you describe or define a prophet? What do you think? What comes to mind? Spiritual mentor to kings. That's true. Speaking uncomfortable truth to power. Yes. An older man. Old bloke. Okay. Yeah. The heard directly from God. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes the message was for the people, sometimes the king, but sometimes the people as a whole. Sometimes foreign nations, in fact, sometimes. Not a comfortable position. They often uh, had significant opposition from the people, from the king. Um, yeah, very challenging. Yeah. Simone. Eccentric. So who comes to mind when we think about eccentric prophets? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. What kind of things did Ezekiel do? Can you remember? Naked from the waist down at one point. Yeah, he walked around. 
He, he used human excrement to cook with for a while. It was what God told him to do as a, as a, like a living illustration, right? He cooked with human excrement. He went, walked around half naked for a long time. He lay on his side for hundreds of days, just on one side. That's, that was it. It was a prophetic sign. He dug a hole through the wall of his house and picked up his belongings and walked through the hole in the house as a symbol of the exile. Wow. I, I mean, you've got to read Ezekiel, people. You, you think some stuff out there online is a bit mad. You've just got to read your, you've got to read your Bible. I mean, it's incredible. Ezekiel's an amazing guy. We'll have to come back to him. But yeah, they did some strange things at times. Some yeah, radical and strange things. A prophet. I heard a definition of a prophet I rather like. He doesn't sum it all up, but I rather like it. What was the role of a prophet? Somebody said the role of a prophet was to be a covenant enforcer. To be a covenant enforcer. In other words, God made a covenant with Israel. At Sinai, the people, Moses, and God agreed on a covenant. God said, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. Here's my law. Here's who I am. Honor me above all other gods, and we'll have a good thing going. And here's all the stipulations. And Israel said, we agree. And that agreement was not like some casual signing of a rent agreement or something. This is the kind of thing in that culture and day, and we haven't got time to go into it, but that kind of thing was done when you, it's called cutting a covenant. And one of the reasons it's called cutting a covenant, not just affirming one, is because you held a knife to your throat when you made a covenant in those days. This is between kings, for example, a lesser king and a, and a, and a, a higher king, so a stronger king and a weaker king, and they'd make an agreement, and the stronger king would say, here's the covenant uh, details, and the, younger, the, the weaker king would say, I agree to those, and in agreeing to it, he holds a, a, a knife to his throat. The both kings do. They hold a knife to their throat, because what they're saying is, if I break this covenant... You have the right to cut my throat, to kill me. That's one of the reasons the covenant is sealed in blood, by the way, Old Testament and New Testament. It's that same kind of idea. It's life. It's about life and death. And so that's the covenant that Israel and God make. So the, the prophets come along to say, time for a course correction. Right? It's like their spiritual sat-nav. You're off, you're off track. We need to get back onto the right route. Uh, you made a covenant, you've got to get back to the covenant. You've gone off track. Does that make sense? So that's a lot of what the prophets were about. Now, more than that, but a lot of it was about that. And so that's the tradition that Holder operates from. That's her place. She is a covenant enforcer. It's quite something, isn't it? She's one of a few female prophets that are named in the or mentioned in the Old Testament. And we have Miriam, Deborah, and Isaiah's nameless wife are all called prophets. And the other thing to note is that Huldah wasn't the only show in town for Josiah. He sends to consult Huldah when he could have consulted Jeremiah. Isn't he more famous? Didn't he, don't we know a lot about him? We've got a whole book called Jeremiah. Nahum, another prophet, was contemporary. Zephaniah and Habakkuk were all overlapping with this time. Josiah could have gone to any of those. But he chooses to go to Huldah. And I'd like us to discuss in a minute why we think that might be. You see, one of the things I'll make a small, well, not a small point, but a point that's not the core of what we're talking about today, but it's really interesting that there is no hint in the Old Testament that a female prophet is a, is a bad thing. There's no command that the prophets must be male. Priests have to be male. 
uh, those serving in the armed forces in the Old Testament must be male. It doesn't say anything about prophets being male. There's no sense that Josiah is going to, um, uh, you know, he'd really rather talk to Jeremiah because that would be better, but he's out of town, so well, I suppose I'll have to go and talk to Holder. There's no hint of that in this text. No sense that it should be a man, which I think is really interesting and something for us to think about. And clearly she knew, she knew this scroll. The scroll has been found in the temple. It's been read to the king, and Josiah has torn his clothes, recognizing it's something from God. But he needs an interpreter. And who does he go to? He goes to a woman, prophet, to get the right interpretation to know what it means. So that's a bit about Huldah. Let's talk about Josiah a minute. Tearing his clothes when he hears the words of this book read. It's not said that what the name of the book is, just the book of the law. And he tears uh, his clothes in verse 11. He hears it. He tore his robes. And then he says, go and find out from uh, uh, inquire of the Lord for me. Holder has a re direct relationship with God that somebody knows she has. Inquire of the Lord. They've already got the book, but they need to inquire of the Lord to figure out what this means. Um, Josiah is an interesting character. He comes to the throne at eight, as we said earlier. He had an evil father and an evil grandfather. Uh, in chapter 21, we find that his grandfather, in verse 6 of chapter 21, sacrificed his own son in the fire. This would be to Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites, as it says elsewhere. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. That's your granddad. Do you love your granddad? I hope you love your granddad. If that was your granddad, you might find it a bit hard to love him. You wouldn't want to go around for dinner. He might sacrifice you in the fire. Instead of doing a barbecue for you, you might be the barbecue. <laughs> that was his granddad, but his father wasn't any better. Chapter 21, verse 20. Uh, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh, the granddad. He followed completely the ways of his father, worshipping the idols his father had worshipped, bowing down to them, forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, did not walk in obedience to him. So the fact that Josiah has such a pure heart is quite something. All these strikes Josiah has against him. He, he has an evil grandfather and an evil father. He has a tragic family background because his father is assassinated. That's again at the end of chapter 21. The officials conspired against the father and assassinated the king in his palace. So you're thinking, maybe I'm next. Your dad has been assassinated. There's an evil societal and religious culture. Um, it's, there, are, there are male shrine prostitutes in the temple of the Lord. Chapter 22, verse 7. There's prostitution going on in the temple. The culture of the day allows it, thinks it's all fine and good. This is what's going on. There's an evil leadership culture overall. Like I talked about, most of the kings are evil. Josiah's elders and betters had got it wrong. Who is he to put things right? But he determines not to be a victim. Not a victim of his family background. Not a victim of his culture. Not a victim of any of the pressures around him. But he chooses to reform what he hears from Holder. And chapter 23 is all about the renewal. Turn with me to chapter 23. We won't read the whole chapter. It's long. But I want to give you a feel for what's going on here. In 2 Kings 23, after Holder says, you need to reform things, the king gets everybody together. The inhabitants of Jerusalem, priests, prophets, all the people. He reads from this book of the covenant, which is probably Deuteronomy. 
probably because it seems to fit. And he renews the covenant, verse 3, in the presence of the Lord. So the Lord is now there, in a sense, when he hadn't been. To follow the Lord, keep his commands, statutes and decrees, with all his heart, all his soul, confirming the words of the covenant written in this book, all the people pledge themselves to the covenant. So the covenant is renewed. Huldah has done her job, back on track. But what then does this mean, to renew the covenant? It means to purify the land, purify the temple, purify the priesthood. So he gives orders, and they remove, uh, verse 4, all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and the starry hosts of the other foreign gods. They burn them. Uh, he did away with the idolatrous priests. He got rid of them, uh, the ones that burned incest to Baal. He takes the Asherah pole out of the temple. This is the pagan idol in the temple. He takes it down, burns it, grinds it to powder, scatters the dust over the graves of the common people. I mean, this is a thorough job. He tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes and the women who did weaving for Asherah. He brings the priests um, from the, the high places where the priests of burn incense, breaks the gateway. Uh, they, da, da, da. He desecrated Topheth because it was used to sacrifice sons and daughters in the fight of Molech in verse 10. He removes from the evidence of the temple from the Lord of the Lord the horses. The king of Judah had dedicated to the sun, burns the chariots, pulled down the altars in verse 12, and removes them there, smashes them to pieces, throws them into the rubble in the Kidron Valley, verse 12, desecrates the high places in the east of Jerusalem, uh, Solomon and others had built, smashes the sacred stones, verse 14, cuts down the poles, covered the sites with human bones. He digs up human bones to scatter over these places to desecrate the, the idol worship areas. This is intense. Um, he demolishes another altar, burns the high place, to grinds it to powder again in verse 15. He finds tombs. There, skip that bit. Uh, he removes the shrines, verse 19. Slaughters, now verse 20. Slaughtered all the priests of those high places. Burned human bones on them. I mean, I don't know if this was all God's will. I don't know. But he's certainly being thorough. And then in verse 21, he tells the people, celebrate the Passover. Now we've purified everything, we can connect with God. Celebrate the Passover, uh, as is written in the Book of the Covenant. Verse 22, I love, neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, people like Samuel, Gideon, and others, neither in those days, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover been observed. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. He also got rid of the mediums, the spiritists, the household gods, the idols, other detestable things. He did all that because, well, because Holder basically told him to. And there was no one like him, verse 25, who turned to the Lord like he did with all his heart, soul, strength, in accordance with the law uh, of uh, Moses. We'll stop there. He is a man of spiritual integrity. He is a man who is determined to renew the covenant and to purify the land. Uh, he is... Uh, urgent, thorough, self-motivated, brave, and he's focused on others. I say the others focus because Holder has told him, the disaster is still coming for Israel, but you're going to be okay. Now, I don't know about you, when someone says, you're going to be okay, I'm tempted to sit back and think, well, I'm okay then. But the disaster is going to come on others, and so, but that doesn't stop him. He's self-motivated about pleasing God. He wants to do what is right by God, even if it doesn't make any difference. Uh, to him personally. 
And he's brave, I think, because if you dismantle a whole religious societal system, which has money behind it, you as the king are in, you're in danger. Remember, his dad got assassinated, remember? And a lot of out-of-work out of priests now of Baal and Asherah, what are they going to do? There are a lot of out-of-work um, manufacturers of idols and Asherah poles, out-of-work, I mean, what, you know, out-of-pocket. This is a, I don't know what it did to the economy, but it can't have been good. So he's brave. And he cares about other people. He did what he did for God, not for himself, I would suggest. So what I'd like us to do for a few minutes, I'd like this side of the room to talk about Josiah. To discuss that, right, in twos and threes. Discuss Josiah. This side of the room has some discussion about Holder. Some questions on the Watford word you could use. But generally, what I'd like us to do is to think, what are we learning here about Josiah, his heart? What are we learning about Holder? What is God trying to tell us about Holder or through Holder for us? What's God trying to tell us through the example of Josiah? What might be the, uh, the reason we have this in God's word. Why did Josiah act the way he did? Why does, what does it tell us about him? What motivated his actions? Why did he do what he did? With Hulda, what does her response to the people coming to her tell you about her? Why do you think Josiah asked her, not any other prophet? What can we learn from Hulda? So this side of the room is Hulda. This side of the room is Josiah. I'm going to give you five, six minutes. Um, just, if you can just give me one thing, and we'll keep going backwards and forwards for a while, okay? So somebody on this side, uh, a thought about Josiah, something that stands out. Oh, he read the covenant. He's sorry? He read the covenant. He read the covenant. Which I don't think many of them were doing. I read it. That's where it all comes from. He, he read it once it got presented to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he, he didn't just accept it as something to be paid attention to, but he actually. That's where he was going wrong. Okay. It obviously told what he had to do. He, he, he didn't treat the book like some kind of relic. Okay, not just about reading it, but it taking it seriously. Even the circles, you, you know, thing. Not written. Good point. The Bible is not to be worshipped. It's to help us to worship. But okay, what about Holder? Something about Holder? Yes. Influential. Yeah, respected. Yeah, influential and respected even before this happened, right? That would make sense. Something else about Josiah? Um, a bit of question, but from, from the way we read the scripture again, it doesn't look like Josiah actually specifically said, well, hold on. Correct. That's true. Maybe Josiah knew her, maybe he didn't, but the people around him did. The high priest certainly did. Okay. Holder, something about Holder? I'm sure. But maybe Holder was exactly what he needed and like was somebody that was like 
You know, that's an interesting thought. I don't know about you, but I find sometimes I, if I need to hear some truth from somebody, it makes a difference as to who it comes through. I can hear the truth from some people much more easily than I can hear it from others. Maybe there's something going on here. Maybe Holder had that sort of ability to communicate in a way that Josiah could handle it or accept it. Mm, interesting thought. Josiah, something else about Josiah from this side? Anything else stand out about him, Penn? He, he had a team around him. He had a team. And he, and he galvanized the nation. Um, there must have been opposition to all the changes. Sure. But, opposition, uh, yeah. He got everything on board. Mm. So he was a good leader in that sense. As a young man as well. As a young man. So all within the year. He's 26, yeah. right? Yeah. But he's already a good team player. He's got a good team around him, motivates the team. It's not just about him. Engages everybody. Quite something, isn't it? And he was really affected by the words that were read out of the Conan because he tore his clothes. Yeah. Tearing your clothes, which was a symbol of, of repentance, really, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Stefan? It reminds me of, it's not specifically recorded, it must have been incredibly disruptive to lead this thing. Uh, it reminds me of when Paul was in Ephesus. Yeah, like uh, Ephesus, yes. Disrupted the whole industry around idols and everything. And it mentioned there, for example, that the women who were leading the Asherah seemed like it's some kind of weaving. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, weaving, yeah. As well as photography, et cetera, et cetera, and there's some other references as well. It must have been incredibly disruptive to industry. The various copies. Uh, must have been major ramifications for the for those industries. It does remind me of Artemis in Ephesians. We, we had looked at Ephesians a while ago, well, not that long ago, and, and Paul arriving there in Ephesus, and how there's a riot because the, the people that make the idols of Artemis think their trade's going to be threatened. So the riot isn't because Artemis is awesome, it's because we're going to lose money. Right? It's an interesting thing. Anything else about Holder, and I'll come back over here. Yeah. Um. When Josiah sent the delegation out, he said, go to the temple and tell me you know, what I need to do. Mm. And it's interesting that that delegation is a bit of an initiative, but oh, the temple, that's not a place to go. And mm. then the one with Holger. Uh -huh. Interesting. Yeah. And that mood also begins to know she is someone who's already starting to galvanize the people, start saying different, something that's very different to what established gracefully. I don't know because the temple is pretty much corrupted while all these people are around. Mm. So I really show the kind of person she is, even though she is very much part of the establishment, you know, she's married and things, but that did not prevent her from saying what I would say is Mm -hmm. 
that she becomes afraid. Because even Adam Biden thinks that Jacob is also going to pay for it. Well, I mean, she doesn't know how the king is going to receive this message. Yeah. Right? The king could get upset with her. And some of the other prophets had a sticky end. And she could have had the same kind of situation. So she was very brave. You're quite right. And in a sense, interesting insight, she was part of the establishment in some sense. I think that's what we, we feel from, right? But although she's part of the establishment, she's still able to critique the establishment. And that, that's a brave thing to do. That's kind of whistleblower territory, isn't it? Something like that. Interesting, yeah. I always find it interesting that often names of the Bible have their own significance. And so either this is, I don't know how true some of the first sight is, but in several different sites, it tells her that Hollywood's name actually means mole or weasel. But in this episode, I think it's a, a Hebrew or Jewish website, and the meaning is given earthly, mole, light. Hmm. And so it's interesting if you take, um, it says the etymology from the verb halal to be an earthly. So quite a lot of the word earthly, I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, if it means to earth and to light, interestingly, she found somebody whose name also signified light at some point in this etymology. Fascinating. Wow. Okay, we need a whole like lesson written on that, please. All right. <laughs> I, 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 the, the, the meaning of names. We're going to talk about meaning of names in just a moment, but go on. But also, sorry, um, uh, her husband, the wife of Sharon, the wife of Sharon, I don't know, that means the son of Hitler. And I think Hitler means jewel. So, in terms of the heritage of the names, it's very interesting the kind of lineage she's coming from, or people she's associated with to by marriage. Mm. Um, it's really, really fascinating to do all that, but yeah. No, it's worth digging into these things. It is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize, and then we're going to take communion in a moment, because I think there's some things for us here. So, my summary would be this. Fundamentally, Josiah had a good heart against the odds, given the culture, culture of leadership that he was part of, the culture of the country, religiously and society, and his family culture. He had a good heart against all the odds, which means it's, it's important for us to remember this, that we are not a product of our background and our culture. We are transformed by the blood of Christ. We have the spirit. We do not have to conform. We have our own way of doing things that we, God will give us the strength to do. Everybody here can have a good heart with God. He did need someone to help him interpret God's word. And that's something for us to think about, that we need each other here to help each other to understand God's word. None of us understands everything about it. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or not, how much education you have or not, we need each other, not only about knowledge of the word, but how to live it. Because living it is what ultimately matters, not just knowing it. Hulder, it appears, had cultivated her relationship with God. She was someone who was known to know God. They knew if they went to her, she would tell them what God said. So clearly she had cultivated that relationship with God. I guess God called her to be a prophet. I don't think you would call yourself. But there's something in, in her that enabled her, presumably through her own devotion to God, to be somebody who had that kind of relationship with God. And that meant she was ready when the most important opportunity came for her to share, to be useful to God. The only thing we know about her in the whole of the Bible is that one, what, two paragraphs. But look at the impact she had. She changed a nation. Now, together with Josiah, it needed a pure heart with humility to learn, to connect with somebody, who could teach them who knew God well enough. 
Now that's a recipe for personal and cultural and, if you like, congregational transformation. How does, it, how does transformation happen for a Christian? How does it happen for a church? It happens because seeking pure-hearted people come and find those together in community, ultimately, that are able to help them, since they have that connection with God, to discern what, is, how, what God's word means for us now. And we help each other with that so that we can live kingdom lives to make a difference. She was ready at that time. Huldah is a model of spiritual wisdom for us. Josiah is a model of repentance for us. And God, we see, we see here, is patient. He must have been so fed up with all these evil kings. Can you imagine him observing male prostitution in his temple and not instantly deciding, I've had enough, but being patient for a good-hearted king to come? God is patient, God warns, and God helps. So to wrap up, I would suggest we have a, a look at this scripture. Going back to the meaning of names, Josiah's name has a number of meanings, but they all center around the idea of God as a helper and a healer. That's the meaning of his name. Yahweh, my helper. Yahweh, my or our healer is the meaning of his name. And Josiah lived up to that. He healed the land. He healed Judah's relationship with God. And when we think of the ultimate healer that brings us that connection with God, removes our impurities, removes our idols, cleanses our hearts, makes our worship acceptable again, who is it? It's, it's Jesus. This passage in 1 Peter puts it so well and when you read this, you can see sort of, I think, a, a connection here with Josiah. And we'll pick it up in uh, verse 22 about Jesus. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you and me, we've been healed. God is our healer. We were like the sheep going astray, like Judah going astray, but we've returned to the shepherd, the overseer of our souls. As we take bread and wine in a moment, these symbols of the body and the blood of Christ remind us that we are healed and we have a relationship with the healer. To have that relationship with the healer does need a pure heart. It needs an open heart to God's correction. It needs an, a, a desire, willingness to be purified and to purif do our part to purify our hearts and lives and to accept the guidance that sometimes God gives us through his word and people who can teach us his word to help us to be healed. So let's pray together. Um, Amy's going to come up and pray for us. And then...